0: All right, friends, let's read this passage that this series, Devoted, is based on. Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47. Now, this passage and this moment that we're looking at today happens right after the moment of Pentecost, which is after the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. As Jesus's disciples gathered together in a room, and the Holy Spirit entered that space. And the Holy Spirit began to work through these people in an incredible way, pushing them into mission, onto mission with the people around them. And in that moment, the early church was born. And in that moment, hundreds, thousands, of people began to believe. And this movement called the church was born right there. As we experience our own rebirth as a church, I wanted us to look at these verses. What was it that the early church was focused on? What were they devoted to? What was the key that they that, what were the keys and, and the, the, the basis and, and the, 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 the major things? What were the ingredients? within that church. And I want to make sure this is so important and so critical here. These were the organic things that took place because of the work of the Holy Spirit. So as we pray for God to work in our church, as we pray that as we follow Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would come into our presence and into our lives and into our family and into our community, that we would organically live out what God is calling us to do. And throughout the life of the church for the past 2,000 years, it almost seems like once a generation we come back to these words and we get all caught up in what the church looks like. And we realize that the church, that sometimes the the, the church, the the mainstream Christianity that, that is visible. And, and, is, and is out in our communities, that sometimes we see that that mainstream Christianity, the way that people are seeing Christianity, is not necessarily lining up with what this early church looked like. So today as we read these words, listen to this. What were they devoted to? It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I talked about a couple weeks ago why I love this passage. The book of Acts, which is the second part of a two-part book. So the book of Luke that you'll find in your Bibles and the book of Acts are really two books that you can read together, one right directly into the other. It doesn't take that long to do. It's, it's a, a few hour, um, you know, a long, long movie kind of approach. But if you just read from Luke chapter one all the way through the end of Acts, you would see this story taking place, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the birth of the church, and then 10 years of their early history of what the church looked like. And that's kind of what you see in that timeline, this 40 years of history. And I would encourage you to try it and do it because it's an incredible journey to see uh, just all of that kind of taking place. But what I want us to see here is that what's cool in this moment, what's cool in Acts chapter two verses 42 through 47 is that it's almost like Luke takes a breath. He pauses, he breathes, he takes a break from this fast paced storytelling that he typically does hitting us with facts and stories and moments. And he almost pauses here. You can almost hear him breathe and take a rest and take a breath in this moment. And as we read it, I always imagine as Luke is writing this, that it looks like journaling. Or it looks like those moments where we're sitting with a friend and we're talking about the great things that happen in our lives. And in those moments, we tend to pause I was closing your eyes, looking around, recalling those moments and just breathing it in. That's what he does here. He doesn't want us to miss the beautiful picture of the early church in those very first moments. He wants us to reflect on it, to process it. In some ways, I think even he is saying, "Look, I don't want to forget what was taking place because it was so beautiful. It was so incredible." It was so captivating to people around him that he just stops and breathes it in. And in, do, in so doing, he gives us these four realities that I talked about that define the early church, these organic things that came out of the church as the Holy Spirit worked through them. In Acts 2, 42, he says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, we looked at these words, they, and devoted, in the first week of this series. And I'm going to risk the possibility of repeating myself. Sometimes I have a tendency to do that, to get caught up on some of these cool points that I want to make sure that we catch. And that's what I want to do today. These words are so important for us to understand what is happening in these verses. They, they, And devoted they again is the early church it's made up of the disciples of jesus the followers of jesus and an incredible diverse group of people from different backgrounds and communities that god formed together into this new community and family called the church and that happened as they devoted themselves to these four distinct realities in this passage that this early church, this group of people, this diverse group of people became a family, became a community in these moments as they lived out these four realities. And I think that's kind of cool. It's messy. It's organic. It's like, it's like baking something. It's throwing the ingredients together and you're watching it take place. And that's what's happening here. So these are just things that we say, hey, let's, let's commit to these things. Yes, we need to be devoted to these things. But as we live them out, what's cool about it is as we're devoted to them, something happens, something takes place. And, and what we have to make sure that we're living out all of these things. Now, the word devoted here is a huge word. It's a Greek word. And it means to put all, that word all, we've talked about that a lot, put all of your focus all of your energy, all of your resources into. Devoted means that you're gonna be devoted to something. You're gonna have something that is the focus of your life and we will all devote ourselves to something. But it's interesting, what will we prioritize? What will be the main thing? For them, they devoted themselves to this new family, to this new community. They put their energy, their resources, their time and their focus into these things. Things. This was their priority. Yes, they had jobs. Yes, they had families. Yes, they had their cities and their communities in which they lived. Yes, they had things that they had to do in those communities. Yes, they had work and school and and lives that they lived. But the framework, they never got backwards. They didn't define their lives by being devoted to their work. They defined their work by being devoted to their faith. They didn't define their lives by what they did. They defined what they did by their faith. Everything was focused on this early church, on their faith and on their family and on the community they were building through the Holy Spirit as they followed Jesus. We would be good. It's about our focus, our devotion on Jesus. This is what I'm always trying to get us to do to commit our lives to Jesus. To not have a box that says job, work, family, life, sports, whatever we do, and have a box that says Jesus over here somewhere. But to understand that all of our lives, everything fits in to the big box called faith in Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we reframe our lives and we focus through the lens that is Jesus. And they were devoted to this. By this early church devoting themselves to these four distinctive realities, they captivated people around them because they lived differently because of these things. When you prioritize Jesus, when you prioritize the ways of Jesus, people are captivated by it. Our culture, this is so important today. They weren't turned off by these Christians. They didn't think that these Christians were mean or ugly or or hateful or anything like that. They looked at these Christians and they were captivated by the way that they lived. And this is so critical for us today. So much of Christianity seems to have become this weird reality of Christians telling other people how to live instead of focusing on how we as Christians should live. Let me say that again because I want you to hear this and see how important this is. Christianity is not about telling other people how to live, it is focusing on how we as Christians should live. And what these early Christians were devoted to isn't what a lot of mainstream Christianity seems to have on its focus today. It's not about power. It's not about control. It's not about culture war. It's about love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's about living out these four distinctives in such a way that we captivate the world around us because we live our lives like Jesus, the Jesus who loved The Jesus who accepted. The Jesus who had compassion and mercy. And the Jesus who said, come and follow me. I'll give you rest and life. I'll show you the way of grace and mercy. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And last week we looked at the apostles' teaching We found that the work of the apostles was to share the good news of Jesus. They focused on the essentials. What we found as we researched and studied and looked at that term was that they focused on the essentials of what it means to follow Jesus. The apostles learned from sitting at the feet of Jesus, and then they passed that on to the next generation, to the next generation, and then to the next generation. We aren't the first people to follow the way of Jesus. So we look to those who came before us and we also take the hand of those who come behind us, guiding others into this journey together as we learn from those who came before. And as we continue reading this passage, then we come to this critical word and. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and. And it's critical because it shows us that it wasn't just enough to learn about Jesus. It wasn't just enough to learn about what Jesus said, what Jesus did. We can get caught on that. We can focus on that. We can have all kinds of information, but we miss that we're supposed to do something with our knowledge of who Jesus was. We're not supposed to just say, look, I know who Jesus is. I know what his life looked like. I know what he was calling people to do. He actually says, come and follow me. And so part of our faith is walking and journeying and moving forward towards Jesus. It's not enough just to learn about Jesus. They lived out what they learned about Jesus. These followers are called followers of the way of Jesus, and I love this. When somebody asks you what you are, who you are, what is your faith? Sometimes we're so quick to say, I'm a Christian. There's all kinds of baggage in our world currently that goes with being a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't just know about Jesus. I'm following the way of Jesus. It means that I don't just have knowledge about Jesus, but I want my life to be changed by Jesus. I want my life to look like Jesus. And what I mean by that is as we sit at the feet of Jesus, it impacts the way that we live our lives today, our lives. One of my favorite passages you hear a lot about here at Southeast is this passage that teaches this reality. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself teaching of Jesus shows us that as we learn to love God, that we learn to love others, that we learn to love others, we learn to love God. I've talked about this before, and I'll use this language and this phrase that I've said before with this. Loving God and loving others are not independent of each other. They're not two separate clauses. They are interdependent, and they form a perpetual motion that moves our hearts toward God and towards others with a kind of love that is the heart of our faith, the love of Jesus. So as we grow in our understanding and relationships with God, we live that out with other people around us. Now, I want you to see today how Jesus expands on this and shows us that in these words. But hear this focus today. They lived out their faith by loving God and loving others. You cannot love God. If you don't love others, if you don't love others, you can't love God. And this is true for everybody around us. This was radically true for the Christians of that day, that they loved Everybody that they came in contact with, everybody they interacted, the followers of the way of Jesus were known for their love. Now listen to this passage because he talks about this, that this love is an overflow, that this love is an overflow that enters our lives through God's love into our lives because he loved you, loves you, will always love you you as an individual, but we also shift that you into a plural reality, that that love is so significant and so powerful and so amazing that it cannot be contained in my heart or in your heart. That love spills over into those around us, into this thing we call the family of God, and then that love pours out into the world around us. Jesus described it this way, in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit. Unless you remain in me. Now, the cutting and the pruning that he's talking about here, he's talking to his disciples. He is talking about taking away everything else and focusing on Jesus. He's not talking about cutting and pruning people in the church. He's talking about cutting and pruning those things that seem to get in our way of us being able to follow Jesus. It's the things that kind of grow up in front of us. He says, I'm cutting, I'm pruning, I'm pushing back. So you can focus on the vine and the connection and being a part and bearing the fruit, the grace, the mercy, the love of Jesus. In other words, be devoted on Jesus and the community he creates and allow him to prune away all the other stuff. Everything has its place, but our focus begins with Jesus. So he continues. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples, the Father's glory. So when we live out the grace and mercy and love of Jesus, we honor God. He's saying that's how we honor God. That's how we lift up God. That's how we show God's glory. By living out the love of Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. So the branches can't survive from the vine. And they flourish together, connected to each other and to that vine. So listen to this. In the same way, we must remain in the community that is connected to the vine, to the place from which all new life begins. And in those verses, he talked about these branches that try to live on their own, that try to survive on their own. And as we know with any branch, if you cut a branch from the vine, cut a branch from the root, cut a branch from the trunk, cut a branch away, those branches never survive on their own. Branches that try to be on their own don't survive. And so then he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. So what is his command? Jesus went on with that illustration. He then said this, my command. So here's his word. What were his commands? Well, here's my command. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. He chose these disciples. He chose these people to follow him. And then we find out as we read the book of Acts that he tells these disciples, now go. Live this out, share the good news. And now, welcome all to this message. All are now invited. He chose them and now he tells them to go and tell everyone that they can now be a part of this. Everyone can be connected to the vine. Everyone can belong in the family. Everyone can become a follower of Jesus. Everyone can be empowered by the Holy Spirit to go live out his command to love one another. And so then he closes it with this. This is my command love each other. Now, out of everything that Jesus could have commanded in this moment, just think about this. This is my command. Verse seventeen has been one of those verses that I think we stopped reading. This is my command, and we sort of just put our own thing in there. We, we've created like a blank check or like a like a like a like just the, like a like a fill in the blank. And Christians throughout centuries have just put whatever they want in there. This is my command, and we put in all kinds of things into that gap. And for some reason, we erase the words of Jesus. Listen again to what his command is. This is my command. Listen, love each other. Jesus could have commanded anything in this moment. And he focused in on telling his disciples to love each other. Now, listen, these disciples, the apostles, then taught this to the newly birthed church in Acts 2. And this newly birthed church did it. He said, love each other. And they said to the early church, this was his command, love each other. And the early church didn't just say, yeah, love each other. No, they actually lived it out. They didn't just look at each other and say, I love you. They showed their love. And we all know that. We all know how easy it is to say, I love you. And how much different it is to act out of love. I mean, this is the story of the Good Samaritan. There were all kinds of people that walked by this man who was hurting who could have simply said, I love you, thoughts and prayers. But there was only one person who stopped, the good Samaritan, who actually put his love into action. And that's the kind of people that God is calling us to be. People who don't just look and say, oh, what a shame. Oh, that's too bad. But people who actually put his love into action, non-judgmental with mercy, compassion, and grace overflowing. That's what that man led with. Love each other. And as the early church lived this out, they experienced fellowship. And they devoted themselves to it. And that's where we're at today. Today. As we continue on, we see they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And now we know what fellowship is about. It's not handshakes, fist bumps, waves across a room. It is the intentional building of real relationships where masks come off and walls come down, we're connected to each other and connected in Jesus in ways that we can't even begin to describe. And we all long for relationships like that. And what we find is that the early church was intentional in being that kind of community. And here's what I want mean you to hear. It's not always perfect. In fact, most of the stories we find in the Bible are about churches struggling to live this out. Read the New Testament. They struggled to live this out, yet they continued to strive to live it out. No, we will not always get it right. But yes, we must strive to live like this. It's messy. It's imperfect. It's a struggle. But it's also authentic, vulnerable, and honest. So what should the church be? The church should be messy. The church should be imperfect. The church should struggle to live out our love with each other. Yet it will be authentic. It will be vulnerable. It will be honest. And when we devote ourselves to that kind of fellowship, guys, we create the loving, giving, encouraging community that this world so desperately needs. As we go back to the passage we started today, the basis of our series, Luke gives us a picture of what happens when we're devoted to this kind of fellowship, to this kind of family as a church community, a group of people together following the way of Jesus. What does it look like to be devoted to fellowship? What does it look like to be devoted to kind of the love that comes from God into our lives and is poured out into the people around us that is so powerful and so captivating and so incredible it pours out into the world around us what happens when we live out like that it says all the believers were together they had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and listen to this line and the Lord added to to their number daily those who were being saved Now, look at this because I think this is an important part of these verses. It says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, the Lord added to their daily number, uh, added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, jump back a few verses before this when Peter preached on Pentecost, right before this. It says, those who accepted his message were baptized. Now, listen to this. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And as I thought about this, I thought this feels like a contradiction, doesn't it? 3,000 people made up this early church community, and the Lord added daily to their number. So, how did they do it? How did they share the good news of Jesus, grow in number, and become a family devoted to fellowship with each other? How How did they grow? How did they share the gospel, grow by thousands? and yet have this incredible fellowship that captivated people around them in such a way that they were breaking bread in each other's homes, sharing life together in ways where all the masks were falling off. And it wasn't just fist bumps. It wasn't just waves. It was something so much deeper. Guys, they did it through intentionality. They were devoted to fellowship. As they grew, they were intentional in their relationships with people around them to the point that everybody was known and loved. I'm going to read it again. As they grew, they were intentional in their relationships with people around them to the point that everybody was known and loved. And you don't see Luke here describing some kind of program. This was organic. And this is what I want to ask you to do. During during this pandemic, during these past two years, and as we've come into this new time, every day I open up some text messages And two of my closest friends are right there. And every day, we're sharing with each other. The masks have come off a long time ago, and we're intentional in fellowship with each other. And it's not just limited to those two. There are other people that we do that with in our lives. We have to be intentional with each other. One of the things that we created is we created our online uh, church, uh, directory you can sign up for it in the weekly. And my point with that was maybe you don't have the contact of some people that you've met at Southeast. Maybe you want to make a connection. Maybe you want to get to know some people. Maybe this is the reason you need to come to picnics, that you need to come to events, that you need to come and serve together is because you are going to be placed next to somebody that you have no idea what that person is going to mean in your life a year, two years, five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years from now. If you're not intentional about being a part of this community, not just at worship, but by serving, by coming and being a part of the fellowship, by coming and hanging out and being a part of the fun, by introducing yourself to other people around you, you will never experience what this early church experienced. God desires us to be An intentional growing community. Growing toward him, growing toward our world, and growing toward each other. It wasn't just something they did. They were devoted to it. I wrote this down and I think this is so critical. Because I need to hear this too. If you only commit, if you only commit to handshakes, fist bumps, waves across the room, That's all the church will ever be to you. And I'm just being honest. If you just commit to handshakes, fist bumps, waves across the room, that'll be it. But if you devote yourself to fellowship like we see in the early church, loving each other with a kind of love where the masks come down and the walls come down and intentional relationships are built, the kind of love that God has given to you that you pour out to others that we pour out into our world, we will become a church that will captivate our community because people will say, I've never experienced a love like that. I have never experienced a church family like that. I have never been a part of something so incredible and so amazing. Not because anything we do, but because when we devote ourselves to fellowship, when we commit to being a part of living out the mission and vision of the church, God's Holy Spirit moves through us and moves through our church in ways that we can't even begin to imagine. And we will become a church that will captivate our community. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for these words that remind us of how the early church was devoted to fellowship. Help us be the kind of people that are connected to you, connected to each other in ways that can only be described in the metaphor you gave. Vines and branches intertwined together. Living out and growing becoming fruitful, being people of love and grace and mercy in our world. God, my prayer is that we will be the kind of people that when others in our world look at us, that they say, so that's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It looks like love. God, help us to be those kind of people. And help us redefine what it means to be the church. God, I'm tired of the church being defined as judgmental, the church being defined as hateful. Help us restore the reputation by being people of love. It's your name that we pray. Amen.